Okay, I'm Dr. Pillay, and today's topic is respect. Respect, and, and how do I establish respect in relationships? So we're going to be talking about that whole notion. And, and I'm sure if you've been around the block a few times, you've had somebody come up to you and say, look, I don't like the way you're talking to me. You're talking to me disrespectfully. Or I'm sure you've experienced it where someone's talked to you in such a way that you sense that they weren't validating you. They weren't giving you that notion of, I'm, I'm important. And so that idea of being disrespected you know, that's kind of where we're talking about because I want to, you know, clarify what does the word respect mean, how to understand it in relationships, how to improve it when it's not working for you, and I think most of all, how to identify within myself that, that I'm not using that very powerful tool to improve relationships. But first of all, let me define respect, and if you will, here's an easy definition. It's the act of giving particular attention or consideration to someone that you hold in high regard or esteem. Think about that. The act of giving consideration, the act of giving attention to someone that you hold in high regard or esteem. Now, my specialty is anger management. That's what I do. And so when a lot of folks come to me to see me, they're usually there because there's been some altercation, there's been some conflict. Well, let me redefine conflict for you because you might have had that in another class, but just to make sure everybody's got it, ready? Conflict. A difference between two people over physical, emotional, or perceptual space. Perceptual space. You can get an argument with someone that's not real because you perceive it to be in such a way that to you it's real. Perceptual space. And I give the story of the guy that was at the Strawberry Festival that was going to his car. And, and in going to his car, he was clicking the remote because he thought he could hear it go beep, 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 beep. Well, as he's walking, all of a sudden, there's his car. It's not working, but, you know, maybe the battery's dead. He's not quite sure. Now, any of you that have been at a parking lot at nighttime where they have mercury vapor lighting, you've experienced this where teal green looks cobalt blue, and cobalt blue looks teal green. So he's really sure it's his car. Now it's dark, so he's not looking inside. If he had, he would have realized it's not his automobile. But now he's jostling with the handle, and he's trying to make this automobile open for him, and he can't figure out why the key doesn't work. Well, they have little security men in towers. So it appears that there's somebody trying to rob a car. So the policeman goes over there, approaches the guy and says, hey man, what are you doing? Well, his perception that the uniformed officer was violating his space, this is my car, what right do you to have come ask me these questions about my automobile? Needless to say, when he asked him to move away from the car and refused, you know, that got to be an altercation and ultimately he was arrested. Now, during all this, while he's there by the car, he's saying, look, I don't get it. My car is not working. And so one of the officers in a little go-kart, golf cart, runs down with the little beeping thing. And sure enough, his car was two rows over, five cars away. Perception. Right? So, so let's talk about that idea of respect. And if you will, I just want you to know that when we disrespect people, we tend to show it through acts of sarcasm, you know what it is to be sarcastic, right? We've all done that. We answer in such a way to, to, to demean, to make comic or fun of, fun of someone. Uh, sometimes we disrespect, disrespect people just by being rude. You know, I'm watching the other day as this couple are fighting in the parking lot, and as they walk to the front door of the International Mall, and she walks up to the door expecting him to open it. No, he wasn't opening that door. 
You know, his intention of this polite being impolite, if you will, was to say, look, I'm mad at you, I ain't opening the door for you. So he goes to the other side, opens the door and goes in. Another way we disrespect people, being inconsiderate. Inconsiderate. I, I like that idea that do unto those as you want them to do unto you, that, that idea that I treat you in such a way that you treat me. If your perception is that you're stepping on my toes, if your perception is you're making my life miserable, then it's very possible that you might show acts of inconsideration just to punish them. For instance, somebody's waiting for you at 9 o'clock, the appointed time you're supposed to pick them up, so you show up at 9.30. You know, 9.30. You do something to show that you're inconsiderate. Some other ways, belittling, that is we put them down, we make them smaller than they are, and then finally we're just argumentative. You know, one thing I do, I find in our parenting program is a lot of parents struggle with their teens because the teens want to argue about everything. And it's not anything big. It's just, if I say yay, my son or daughter says no. If I say no, they say yes. And so there's this idea that you do find at stages of development amongst children, they're going to argue. They're exercising their Boundaries. They're trying to show you, I have status, I have position. And kids do that naturally, so expect it. When we, when we go to that idea of, of what, is it, what is it to be disrespectful, you know, first of all, I want to define the five ways that we show respect to others and they show respect to us. And these are, these are five that I think, if you really think about what I'm saying, if you take some notes, write it down, I really believe it will make a difference in your life. I really believe it'll make a difference in your life. When I wrote this topic a few years ago, I walked away from it with a whole new definition of relationships, and I applied it to myself in such a way that I really said, wow, most people don't realize this. So let me, first of all, go through the five types of respect, and I'm just going to go right through them one at a time, and then we're going to talk about them one at a time. So, so let me just give you number one. We respect people in our lives for their position, their authority, or their status. Number two, we respect people for their knowledge, their skill, or their wisdom. Number three, we respect them for what they do for us. Number four, we respect them for how they treat us. And really the most difficult one is they respect you for how you lead your life. And that, that's the most difficult one. That's the one that's really hard for all of us, okay? So let me, let me go through that idea of position, status, or authority. Easy, right off the bat, let's, let's define authority. Let's define what is it to be an authority. An authority is a person that has the power to influence your thought, your opinion, or your behavior. Now, children, teens, they resist any direction. Tell them what to do, and they're going to resist it. Clean up your room, and they're going to... You know, they're going to walk like they've got concrete blocks on their feet and they're going to show you by their lack of enthusiasm but they are going to hopefully listen to your authority. You as adults, though, we have a different story, don't we? When your boss says jump, typically you jump. Your boss says move, typically you move. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people, especially when they first enter the work world, will say, I'm not, you know, hey, I'm not doing this. And we find that they get a pink slips, you know? We find that the boss doesn't keep you around very long when you don't respect his position or status or authority. But more importantly, what about you in your position, in your status, and your authority as you execute yourself in a relationship? 
Well, that's more heavy. You know, when I, when I wrote this topic, I really had to give that a lot of thought because I work with a lot of guys that they believe because they're the man of the house, I married you, you married me, because I'm the man of the house, I have authority. Kind of like it's conditional. I'm with you, I married you, therefore I have. And I will tell you that ain't true. I would tell you that in any relationship, you've got to earn the respect for your status, for your position, for your authority, by showing those finer qualities that tend to enlighten people to say, wow, what a good person that is. Now I can tell you what it looks like when you abuse authority. I see this common too. I see, and again, I do men's groups, so I'm picking on men right now. I see a man who moves into a relationship who, in taking this new relationship on, there's children from that person, from the woman, that aren't biologically his. We call that a stepdad. And I've had many a stepdad come on board to say, I'm going to straighten this household out because it's a mess. But we got a problem here because the relationship the man is having with the woman is the reason he's there and they haven't done anything to work on the relationship between himself and the children. And it's much harder when you're not the biological father to earn the respect of the children. Use the word earn. Earn the respect of the children because remember, they're not really a part of your commitment to her. They're kind of innocent bystanders. So the idea that I have to try extra hard to be at your level, to earn you, earn your respect from you in such a way so that you want to be with me, wow, that's a real challenge. But you know, turn that on yourself. Think about when you were a kid. How often did somebody come and look in your eyes, an adult, look in your eyes and say, hey Bobby, what do you want to do today? I just want to share space and time with you. What do you want to do? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've done the same reflective thought processes and I can come up with probably five or six at max from my own biological father. So when we step into this role as a stepdad, the idea that my power to influence through thought, opinion, or behavior, that's what we're talking about. You know, when I show my authority and I am respected by others, when I am respected by others, they tend to take directions willfully. They tend to do what you ask them to do and they do it without a lot of, you know, penalizing or threatening. When you are respected for your authority, you'll find support for your decisions. But don't be confused if somebody asks you why and don't take that as an insult. Because I think it's okay for them to challenge. I really do. I think when people don't challenge, sometimes we don't brainstorm and we don't do the best possible thing. When you are respected for your authority, people take your suggestions seriously. Seriously. They go for it. It's going to happen. Why? Because dad said that or mom said that and I respect mom and I respect dad. They've shown me through their position and their status. They've earned that authority. They consider your, your opinion important. I'm telling you right now, that's one thing that I've seen a lot of men get ticked off about. They don't feel like their opinion matters. It tends to arouse an internal negative energy. And then finally, when you are respected for your authority, those around you, they, they dislike having an argument with you. If you've ever had someone in your life, let me use the word respect again, if you ever had someone in your life that you looked up to, remember their position and status are up here, 
and they show to you negative energy, that hurts. You don't want that to happen. I've been in that position where there's someone I really do respect and they said, you know, Gordon, I don't think I, I really like what happened there. And I'm like, well, wait, 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 hold on. Tell me more. Tell me what I can do to make a difference. When we go to that idea of respecting someone for their knowledge, skill, or wisdom, it's a little bit more complicated. A little bit more complicated because now we've got to define wisdom and we've got to define knowledge. But you know what? When you do that, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think you, you learn from these two definitions because you will perceive things differently. And let me tell you why. Knowledge. Knowledge. The range of one's information or understanding gained through experience or association. That's knowledge. You go to school. Why? To gain knowledge. You read a book. Why? To gain knowledge. You ever have a car break? Your car breaks, you pull out the manual and you're going to try to figure out how to make because you're trying to acquire knowledge. You know, once you've done a brake job and you've never done one before, you tend to gain that knowledge, correct? But wisdom is a little different because wisdom is the ability to separate and distinguish between facts and draw good conclusions. The ability to separate and distinguish between relevant facts and draw good conclusions. So what I'm actually saying is wisdom is how you apply knowledge. I've worked, I mean, I, I train uh, people that are graduate students in this field of mental health, and I've had a lot of interns smart as a whip. I mean, they had all the theorists down and the information of the theorists and all these ideas about labeling and, and this, how do I do an assessment, how to do a protocol, how to do planning. But boy, they sure had no wisdom. They couldn't apply the stuff they learned. I mean, if you learn about brake jobs, you learn about transmissions, you learn about tuning, and then you drive the car, but you can't distinguish what's wrong, or you get the hood up and you still can't figure it out, guess what? You ain't got no wisdom. And a lot of times when you hire somebody to do work for you, you're not hiring just knowledge, are you? You're hiring, can you apply your knowledge in such a way at a good price that I can live with? so that you know we're both happy you make a living and I get my car fixed when we look at someone that you respect and you respect them in terms of their wisdom their skill or their knowledge you have high regard for the decisions that are made you tend to use them as a source of information I don't know about you guys but there's probably three or four men in my life that when when things go sour I call them I call them because they have wisdom they might help me through this. I like the rule that we use around here called listen twice, talk once. Have you ever noticed that when you're hungry for information, you tend to talk a lot and listen a little? And that causes more problems because people pick, that, pick up on that. They, they hear you. You know, a few weeks ago we defined computers. Computers listen to collect information to prove you're wrong. You know, but computers aren't listening, are they? Here we go again. When I'm respected for my knowledge, skill, or wisdom, um, we tend to listen to you. We tend to come to you for advice or guidance. I, I, I have lots of buddies that will tell you, my God, the phone's ringing again. Oh, my Lord, somebody else is calling. When you find people that are willing to listen to you and give you suggestions, give you some ideas, give you some information that might guide you through this perplexing situation, you tend to know who they are. So, do, so does everybody else. They tend to get a lot of phone calls. And then finally, 
when you are respected for your wisdom, skill, and knowledge, you, you tend to focus on understanding and not agreeing. I like to put it to you this way. Understanding is mandatory. Agreeing is optional. Understanding is mandatory. Agreeing is optional. Half the arguments you have this week will go away if you focus on understanding what the person's trying to tell you from a feelings level and forget whether you agree or not, at least until you got all the information. Many times people get into incredible arguments because they're listening to collect information to prove your own, but they're not trying to understand what's really going on. And you'll always hear from me when I'm working with somebody in the front that's got a problem. The first question I usually ask them is, what problem are you trying to solve? Help me understand what problem are you trying to solve. Then if they give that to me, the next question will be, and what do you think is a good solution? Interesting. Half the arguments in your life will go away if you just use those two facts. Okay? Um, I like this next one here, but it has to do with being respected for what you can do for others. What you do for others. So let me talk about what they can do for us. What they can do for us. So I think just like I've done so far, I'm going to go ahead and define these words. And so let's define the do. Do, an action. Well, you know, last week we had somebody in class that had taken the bus. And because of the bus route, it took a long time to get here. And so at the end of the class, I happened to ask anybody in the classroom, hey, look, um, anybody going that way? Can you give them a ride? Giving somebody a ride, that's a do. That's a do. Helping someone in some beneficial way. Well, when you're a parent and we're working on relationships, uh, sometimes we do and do and do and do for our children to the point that, you know, we feel like we get no respect for all of the what I do for you. As partners in relationships, we sometimes feel like, look at all I do for my partner, but what do they do back for me? So the idea that my willingness to help someone out, my willingness to, through kindness or effort, to help someone out, that's why people respect you. And in your life right now, I'll bet you there's someone you have in the back of your mind that you can call if you need a favor. You need, you need something done for you. When we, when we look at that idea of how I am respected for what I do for others, understand that you, you're the person that's the doer. You are shown appreciation for your efforts. And when, you, when people do something for you or you for them, there's always this notion of reciprocation. You know, years ago, Carrie and I used to go to this same little restaurant and they had sort of a, a little bar sitting on the outside uh, adjacent to the dining room. And friends would meet us regular as clockwork on Friday at 6 o'clock. And over a period of months, people would always show up. Well, there was one guy that really didn't mind everybody buying him a beer. Didn't mind. But then, as the weeks passed, everybody started to notice, but wait, he didn't reciprocate. He never did anything back. Now, understand something, that's, that's what we see around us all the time. I'm doing for them, but no one's doing for me. So the idea is that we're always reciprocating in some way or fashion when it comes to do. But you have people in your life that, because of the effort you've made to help them, they do validate you as important in their life. In, in husband wife relationships, paramour relationships, live-in relationships. We have that idea. Look what I do for you. I you know, cut the grass. I fix the appliances when they're broken. I put the garbage out. I bring the kids to school. There's all these do's 
that you do as a, as a part of your relationship. Um, and then finally, understand when you do things for someone, especially in a family, you're considered integral to their lives. You're part of their lives. And again, thinking about myself and my children, you know, bringing the kids to school every morning at 8 o'clock, getting them home at 3.30, 4 o'clock, you know, that's just a part of our life. And, and when I do it so predictably that there's no mystery, when I'm respected and held in high regard because of what I do, then this next thing happens, which is I'm considered dependable. I'm considered dependable. Well, I'll be, I'll be frank with you. Most of the people I work with in relationships have suffered from lack of being able to depend on you because it's random. The, the things I ask you to do randomly occur, and because of that, I have uncertainty, and I don't respect you for the things that you do in a predictable way. Let's talk about number four. Number four is, I respect you for how you treat me. How you treat me. And again, I'm going to have to define this term, treat, because it's kind of relevant to that that we've done so far. We've been defining every one of them so far. So here we go, treat. To interact with others in such a specific manner as to compliment them and hold them in high regard. To interact with others in such a specific manner as to compliment them and hold them in high regard. You know, this is one of those terms that you've got to have intuition about. This is one of those terms that you've got to be able to stand out and look at yourself and you can feel it, but there may not be any evidence of it. That's one thing about homo sapiens. It's one thing about humans. We have this thing called intuition. We have where you can pick up the little raise of an eyebrow or the, the smirk that's, you know, maybe a millimeter move of your, your lip. But we can pick up when someone is treating us disrespectfully. The look. I think you all know the look. And yet, we, we use the idea of the look, but it's interesting how we get that negative feeling. But if you take a picture of it and show it to a stranger, they don't see anything wrong with it. It's because of your familiarity with that person and their mannerisms that you now have this notion of mistreatment. I'm being mistreated. But a lot of people confuse because when they talk about mistreated, they're actually talking about misdone or misdo, the things you didn't do or the things you did wrong. But here we're just talking about the way that I interact with you, the way I show positive energy, the way I treat you. And sometimes, if you will, we think about you know, holidays and special, vacation, special occasions. It's, it gets real gooey because I give someone a gift, which is a do, but when I give them the gift, I also radiate positive energy and say, I love you. So it's quite possible to give someone something, which is a do, and then show through your presence disrespect. And I see that a lot. In particular, I see it with kids, where the mom or the dad are frustrated with the children and they do things for the kids, but then treat them disrespectfully. They treat them with facial expressions and body language that radiate negative energy and they make the child feel bad. When I ask you what does it look like when you're respected for the way you treat others, then you will see that in your presence that you feel honored and you feel privileged. When you are with those people that you treat well and they treat you well, you will feel that honor and privilege of being in that same space.
you give positive verbal and nonverbal communications. We talked about that last week a little bit. Verbal communications are the words you say and the nonverbal are the way you say it. Is it possible to say I love you, the words, the verbals, and say it with such nonverbals to get a totally opposite feeling? Oh yeah. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, sure. I love you. But if you wrote on a piece of paper, it says, I love you. Yes, sure. But when you add in the facial expressions and the body language, ain't no love there, baby. It ain't coming out. When we understand that idea of how I treat others and that respect is being shown, we project, I love these two words, acknowledgement and validation. Acknowledgement and validation. You know what it is to acknowledge somebody? Well, I mean, I was at a party a couple weeks ago and there were six or seven people standing around the front. And as this person walked in, they walked up specifically to five of the six people and said, how you doing? Good seeing you again. <clears throat> left one out. Now, I noticed one person was left out. They weren't acknowledging that person. They'd made a decision. It wasn't a mistake. Somebody else might have said it was a mistake. In fact, later on, I, I recall someone saying, hey, are you okay with you know, Billy Jean or Bobby or whatever? He said, oh, no, I just didn't see him. No, that wasn't at all. Hey, saw him. But sometimes, if you will, by acknowledging someone, we give them the honor of showing respect for them by treating them with dignity. And we ain't going to do it. We have a hidden agenda. We have a scorecard. Y'all know what a scorecard is? Scorecard. The list of things I've never forgiven you for. And when I have a scorecard against someone, when I have a scorecard against someone, I hold that in what type of anger? Suppressed anger. Suppressed anger. You know, suppressed anger. The energy I hold inside of me. I see them over there. I'm going to go say hi to everybody else, but I'm going to find a way to not validate and acknowledge that one person because I'm still angry at them. So I'm going to show a way of disrespecting them by avoiding any way for me to validate them. And then when we look to this idea of how I am respected for treatment, we start to look forward to being with them. They look forward to being with you. I mean, you know that for a fact. You know that there's someone out there that you really like. You can't, you look forward. Hey, we're going to get together. Man, that's exciting. And then finally, you give them what we call unconditional positive regard. Gosh, I love that term unconditional positive regard. You're giving them positive regard just because it's something you do and it doesn't, it's not related to them lending you money, it's not related to them to giving you a ride, it's not relating to lending you a car. You just give them positive regard. Because I'll be honest with you, most of the people I work with in troubled relationships, they give conditional positive regard. I treat you good when you've done what you're supposed to do. But this week, I'm not going to treat you good because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So, this week, guess what? I'm not going to treat you well. Make sense to you? When we get down to this, this, this other idea, and it has to do with number five. The number five is the hardest one. Of all of them, it's the most difficult. I respect, there are people in my life that I respect for how they lead their lives. How they lead their lives. And, and again, I'm going to have to define that for you. I've done all the rest of them, so we'll do this one too. Ready? I define how you lead your life as a person that conforms to a worthy or noble standard of conduct. 
a person that conforms to a worthy or noble standard of conduct. <clears throat> now understand, a few weeks ago, when I was asking everybody about anger and stress and how we respond to stress, one of the questions was, if it was a true-false question, it says, you have the right to be as angry as you want to be. True-false. And half the class said, true. Half the class said, true. And the other class half, half said, false. Well, I challenge that. You know why I challenge that? Because we're about relationships. And if the extent of my anger is so high that it affects you in such a way that you don't want to be with me, then that ain't healthy. That ain't healthy. So the fact that I respect your boundaries, that I respect you enough to know that I cannot get out of control because when I get out of control, I scare the heck out of or I help others to relive trauma. Again, we're talking about relationships. And because it's a men's group, what I was trying to run through at that point was this. What happens if your partner has, was in a past relationship where they really were abused emotionally and or physically? Now what happens if even though that's in the past and gone, you're five years forward and now you're losing it? You're throwing things on the floor, you're pushing stuff around the room, etc. But that person now relives the trauma of the past relationship not necessarily because of anything you've done, but because of the memory of what was done by somebody else. Yeah, that's a real problem. How you lead your life. When you have some idea of values, and that's a really difficult thing these days, and I'm a big believer in it because I think people don't think about it. We talk about rules versus values. And when I ask people, what are your values? What are your values? A lot of people say, well, the Ten Commandments or the Koran, or they'll come up with some other standard that's written someplace. And yet when I ask you as a person, have you, have you stepped back to say, what are my values? Me. I mean, if you were to all of a sudden open your eyes one day and say, I have enough information for me to determine at least, number one, a value that's important to me that I will live by and own for the rest of my life, what would it be? And I've actually given that as an assignment to men to come, go out and come back and give me a sense of values. And I've had a couple of guys eat home runs. Here's one I thought was really cool. I will not own what I didn't earn. I will not own what I didn't earn. Now this particular person that came up with that value admitted to everybody. Man, I used to shoplift. He said to everybody. I used to, if it wasn't nailed down, glued down, tied down, it was mine. And if I found it and it wasn't guarded, secluded, caged, gated, it was mine. Mm -hmm. But when I change that idea that I'm not going to own it unless I, own it, unless I earn it, life became real serious. Wait a second. Now I've got to get a job that pays enough for me to get the toys I want. Now I've got to earn the toys I want in life. Then I'm not going to get them from somebody else. Lottos, forget that. Don't live your life thinking that your five numbers are coming in or your six numbers are coming. Because I'm telling you right now, it's probably not. So the idea that you conform to some value system that you think is important to you. So we had another guy in the same class come up with another value, ready? And you've, you've probably heard this one, and I think many of you heard this one before. I will treat others the way I want to be treated. Values. I will treat others. That's not easy, guys. Especially if you're in the presence of someone that doesn't like you. That's really challenging. So when you have some idea of what you believe is important in your life as a value statement, now you begin to lead it that way, your friends around you look at you differently.
Now, I have some doors put in this building here. I had some exterior painting done. I had some, because I've been in this building about a year right now. And I will tell you, I hired people that I knew by reputation that if I gave you the job, you would do quality work at a fair price and I didn't have to look at it. That is tied to how you lead your life. It's also tied to knowledge, skill, and ability. Isn't it? It's also related to what they do for you. So now we get into the real problem with this because those five factors are interrelated in such a way that you can't really separate them. And then if you want to understand yourself, sometimes you've got to think about your relationship to those people in your life that were important to you. So think about this. How does this five factors, these five ways that you respect others, how have they impacted you in your life now that you have this bigger, broader understanding of what that looks like. So I'm going to give you an example. I have a substance abuse program. People that, you know, maybe arrested for possession or they were DUIs, etc. But I had one of the guys that listened to one of these classes. He was in my anger management class. And afterwards he talked to me and he said, you have no idea how this topic has really helped me to sort through and understand my life. And it's given me a sense of direction. And let me explain to you why, Dr. Pillay. Of course, I'm all ears. He said, you know, I've always used that word love. And I've always, quote, quote, love my dad because, quote, quote, that's my dad, quote, and that's what you do, close quote. But he hadn't really given any thought to, wait a second, is there more to this than meets the eye? Now, as he spoke about his dad, he said, my dad never took me anywhere. My dad was a workaholic. And even though he didn't drink a lot, for the most part, when weekends were around, he was out with his buddies or fishing. And for the most part, I felt pretty, I don't want to say, he, he didn't say not welcome, but I didn't feel like I was invited to go fishing because I was a kid. And it was just a distraction that he didn't want to be annoyed with. So I didn't even go to go, get to go fishing until I was older. However, later in life, if you will, my dad, I needed help. And I asked my dad if he would do something for me, something that was very important. And my dad refused. Nope, don't have time. Can't do that for you. I also can tell you, my dad was uh, a welder, and he did it very well. And he had a lot of respect as a welder. But when I go through all this stuff and I start thinking about it, I respected him for his position, status, and authority as dad, but he really wasn't a good dad. When I take that label, father, and I go through those qualities that a father should have, he didn't get a lot of them. There weren't a lot of them there. And some of you, through common sense and logic, can think about what a father should do. Be with their son at their level. Be a, a role model or a mentor. Be there always available when needed. Show unconditional positive regard. Think about all those things a father should do. And he said, you know, I started to realize he was not a good father at position, status, and authority. But knowledge, skill, and wisdom. Man, he loved the fish, and everybody called him about where to go fishing, how to catch fish. And we always had grouper in the refrigerator. We always had blue crabs in the refrigerator. We always had shrimp in the refrigerator. But when it came to knowledge, skill, and wisdom as a father, nope. Never remember dad doing homework with me. Never remember dad helping me when I had tough times in school. Didn't see it. Didn't get it. Wasn't there. Now, how he treated me. Dad treated me as long as I did what I was supposed to do, I was treated okay. Listen to what I just said. 
As long as I did what I was supposed to do, I was treated okay. But when you're a child and they have that kind of relationship, what do you think that looks like? What do you think that looks like? Doing what you're supposed to do means what? Stay out of the way! Don't annoy me! Do your homework! Clean your room! Behave! Don't cause me problems! And then we finally get to the last part about how you lead your life. Because now he's talking about his father again. You know, mom and dad married 25 years and they're still married to this day, but I don't think I've ever seen them hug and I don't think I've ever seen them kiss and I've never seen them show affection and when mom and dad argue and fight, they have this long list of things they don't talk about. They don't talk about it. Later in life, I asked my dad, why don't they talk about it? My dad said, because I ain't getting a divorce and we're not going to solve that problem and I'm staying married. That's all there is to it. Well, think about what that taught him about how he treats his partner, what he does for his partner, and then finally, how you lead your life. You know, we teach here about levels of relationships. We teach how partners rise from acquaintance to friends to roommates to companions to lovers. The highest level of relationship. Lovers. And he would be the first to tell you if he was here, my mom and dad were not in love. They used the word all the time, but they were not in love. They didn't have those qualities. And we talk about nine characteristics that have to do with love relationships. Commitment, disclosure, common values and beliefs, problem solving, positive sexuality, shared vision of the future, and a shared spiritual understanding. And this is available on our website if you want to take a look at it. Commitment changes in relationships. Friends, friends, I'm there when you need me. Roommates, I put up my share, you put up your share, you can always depend on me. Lovers, I will spare no emotional energy to problem solve that we will stay in this relationship. We will heal these problems. Commitment. Love relationship. If I got to change, I'm going to change. And you're going to do the same to me. And if we got to go see a therapist, we're going to do that because we're going to collaborate. Now apply that to these five levels of respect. Apply all this information to that idea that we just started off with. And see how this interrelates because you can't fulfill a love relationship unless you really respect your partner for their position and status and authority. Hey, is it possible that you can respect your partner as a mother but not respect her for her job at Walmart? Because she don't do that real well. Is it possible that you can respect her for the way she treats you but I don't like the way you treat my in-laws? Is it possible that I can respect you for what you do for me and for our family, but I have noticed you don't do nothing for anybody else? As you work through these ideas, the truth is there are positive things in every relationship that has to do with respect. And if you want to rebuild one, then you've got to find those things that are working. In troubled relationships, we've lost respect for each other. <clears throat> In troubled relationships, I've lost respect for you as my boyfriend. I've lost respect for you as my girlfriend. I've lost respect for you as my lover. Why? Start breaking it down. Well, maybe I lost respect for you because you abuse your authority in the household as a father. Maybe I lost my respect for you because I don't like the way you treat me or the kids. It's conditional. Maybe I don't respect you because I've noticed you only do for me if I've done for you. And I got another one. Maybe I don't respect you for the way you lead your life. And you know where we see that a lot? Drugs. 
Here, this clinic, family clinic, that's what we see a lot. We see where one partner has lost respect for the other partner because drugs has, in, has become such a part of their life that the altered state they're in is not the person that they married or not the person they're living with. And so unfortunately, when we get into the notion of that altered state and I no longer can have a connection with that partner, that's how you lead your life. You, you, you include a lifestyle with an altered state as a foundation to your life and you're heading for trouble, dude. Um, you know, I, I hope you've enjoyed this topic because it's one of those topics I really enjoy. And it's one of those things that I think you can personalize to yourself and you can use information. But I want you to think, how can you improve your relationship 